well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Hopefully you know that by now. It's great to have you with us on the program once again. And uh, great to have our guest with us today as well. Join us here in just a matter of moments. Alan Godlieb is going to be with us, the founder and executive vice president of the Second Amendment Foundation. We're going to be taking a closer look at a couple of the legal challenges that uh, the Second Amendment Foundation is involved in. Boy, i got to tell you, we've got a lot of court cases uh, that are going on right now. Uh, you know, in terms of being able to get good pro-gun legislation through Congress, obviously, that's stymied. Um, the good news is Democrats can't get gun control legislation through the divided Congress either at the moment. Uh, but the courts are busy. In fact, the uh, Firearms Policy Coalition uh, having a, uh, a video conference with a judge today in a, uh, a case involving a challenge to Philadelphia's concealed carry laws and the fact that the gun unit is basically shut down. They're not even accepting applications. People are having to wait a year or more to simply drop off their application to get a concealed carry license in the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Second Amendment Foundation also involved in a, another challenge out in Pennsylvania, along with the Firearms Policy Coalition, challenging a what amounts to a, a, a ban on the ability to carry a firearm for those aged 18, 19, and 20. And the Second Amendment Foundation also involved in another challenge for uh, young Americans who would like to exercise their Second Amendment rights, a case out of California. We'll start there with our conversation with Alan Gottlieb. Take a look and a listen. Alan Gottlieb, the bowtie gun guy himself with us here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Alan, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Cam. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on the program. And, you know, honestly, we could spend four or five hours just going through all of the litigation that the Second Amendment Foundation is involved in at the moment. Uh, there are so many cases out there. But I, I want to kind of focus today on... Uh, a number of cases that deal with the same issue, and that's the right to keep and bear arms for those under the age of 21, 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. Because the Second Amendment Foundation, you all have several cases uh, in different parts of the country that all sort of deal with with various infringements on the rights of young Americans to keep and bear arms. Yes, we do. You know, uh, we think young adults uh, shouldn't lose their rights uh, willy-nilly with the states passing these various laws. In California now, where we were on appeal to Ninth Circuit against California law, uh, we have a situation where under federal and state law, 18 to 20-year-olds cannot buy handguns, and now in California they can't buy center uh, fire uh, semi-automatic firearms rifles as well. There's virtually nothing they have left to defend themselves and their family with, which sticks in a lot of people's throats when we send these people off to war to fight for our freedoms. You know, they come back and they can't have a firearm, so to speak, to defend their own family and, you know, and themselves here back on our own mainland. Uh, and likewise, you know, they're legal. They can get married. They can sign contracts. They're treated like adults in court. Uh, but somehow they don't have Second Amendment rights, and we can't let that, to ha let that to continue to happen. Absolutely. And again, this, this is a challenge of the Ninth Circuit out in California, taking on the, the possession, the, the ability to acquire uh, a, a firearm for self-defense. But I know that there's also a case out of Pennsylvania dealing with the right to carry for uh, 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, correct? Yeah, that, this is a really interesting one in Pennsylvania. They're not even allowed to take the gun out of their home in, in a locked box unless they're going straight to a gun range to shoot. But they wanted to even stop off and take up a friend to go to the gun range. They'd be breaking Pennsylvania's law. Uh, and... You know, it's just it's just totally ridiculous. So we're not talking about just you know concealed carrier permits. 
we're talking about they can't even take a gun out of their home for self-defense, basically. Uh, and so we're challenging Pennsylvania's law as well. You call this a, a catch-22. Um, you say Pennsylvania laws require a state license that's not available uh, to these plaintiffs, anybody under the age of 21, in order to exercise a constitutionally protected right. Uh, and, and open carry is allowed in Pennsylvania, but I thought this is interesting. There's been a state of emergency that, that Governor Wolf declared two years ago over the opioid epidemic in Pennsylvania. That still exists, right? Correct. And as a result, 18, 20-year-olds can't open carry. And they can't even take the gun again in a locked box uh, except to a gun range to practice. Uh, so, if they, again, if they want to stop off for breakfast or stop off for a bathroom break at, at, you know, at a gas station, they're breaking Pennsylvania's law. Okay. And then the final case uh, that, that deals with 18, 19, and 20-year-olds and their right to keep and bear arms, this is based out of a, it's a challenge to a Louisiana law, which I have to say was a, a little surprising to me because I think of Louisiana having you know pretty good Second Amendment protections, but but what's the issue with the law down there in Louisiana? Well, actually, it's not a Louisiana oh, excuse law. We're, me. Challenging the, we're challenging the federal law, uh, not allowing 18, 20-year-olds to purchase a handgun. Uh, and the reason we're doing this is Louisiana is in the Fifth Circuit. It's a bad case out of Texas from a number of years ago that went up to the Appeals Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals where they sort of split and they couldn't, they, they didn't rule in our favor. Uh, it was sort of, I think it was, I believe it was a tie vote. And so the lower court ruling stood. Now the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, thanks to President Trump, has a whole lot of new judges on it. And so we, we, we'd like to get a Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling saying that that federal law is unconstitutional. And so if that law were to be uh, thrown out, if, they, if the uh, Fifth Circuit were to declare that uh, law to be unconstitutional, that decision was upheld ultimately by the uh, Supreme Court, would, would that then lower the federal age to purchase a handgun from 21 to 18? It sure would. Uh, yes. And it would also probably take care of these other suits we have as well in California and Pennsylvania. So we're, we're in three different circuits on it. And the technically there's a fourth case involving this as well, to some extent. Washington State passed their initiative 1639, mm. which also don't allow uh, 18 to 20 year olds, young adults to purchase so-called assault weapons. But they defined assault weapon as any semi-automatic rifle that can accept more than 10 rounds. And so that's what working its way through the Ninth Circuit as well. So in some cases, there's actually four cases we're dealing with this. Okay. Uh, and, and as you say, I mean, these cases are sort of interrelated. So if you get a good ruling in, in one area uh, and, and that ruling is upheld, it could impact uh, other cases as well. Um, and, and it seems like, you know, the expectation we've got conference coming up on a Friday at the Supreme Court. They are going to be looking at uh, a, a case dealing with a felon in possession of a charge, a guy who was convicted of two DUIs in Arizona who is suing to get his Second Amendment rights back. I'm very curious to see if the court accepts that case. But it, it, it certainly seems to me, Alan, that the the, the thinking right now among uh, folks like yourself and uh, other folks involved in the Second Amendment legal fight is that this really is a, a new day for the Supreme Court in the Second Amendment with Amy Coney Barrett on the bench. That is definitely the case. and That's why we're moving as fast as we are. We, the Second Amendment Foundation has filed 26 lawsuits so far this year. We have over 40 in total in, in federal and state courts moving on up. And, of course, in some of these cases, like let, let's talk about the 18, 20, 20-year-old young adults, if we get a favorable ruling in one circuit and an unfavorable ruling in another circuit, it increases the likelihood that the Supreme Court will have to clear, hear a case and, and clean it up so that we have a uniform national uh, legal standard. And so I'm sort of hoping that these cases move pretty quickly now. And in many of the cases, I think they will.
Absolutely. I, I suspect that you're right. Um, all right. The last question for you. We're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a curveball here. Go away from the other courts for a second. Obviously, we're watching what's going on with uh, the presidential election. And I, I think we've got to assume at this point that uh, Joe Biden is going to be uh, inaugurated here uh, in, in January. What are some of the big threats that you all are looking at from the uh, potential Biden administration in terms of attacks on gun owners? Uh, I mentioned in our program earlier today that you know, the, the the Congress is is pretty much deadlocked, which is bad news for gun owners who want good bills to, to get through and on to governor or on to President Trump's desk. But it's probably good news from a gun owner's perspective in that the gun control groups can't get anything passed through Congress either. Um, what are your concerns about what Joe Biden might do administratively or through executive actions uh, if he takes office in January? Well, before I answer that, let me go back to you, what you just said about the deadlock in Congress. I'm yeah. not so sure we're deadlocked on a lot of issues for the following reasons. I think there are a couple of Republicans that could flake and go with the Democrats to start with. And second of all, one of my concerns is, is that they put on an anti-gun piece of legislation as an amendment to something else that Congress desperately wants passed. And then they hold their nose and they vote for it and we get stuck on, on, you know, on the, on the sacrificial, sacrificial altar, so to speak, to get something else passed and gun owners lose. So I'm not so certain that we're so safe with the deadlock in Congress. Going back to your main question uh, about the Biden administration by executive order, one, they're very free to do anything they pretty much want when it comes to import-export of, of firearms and ammunition. And I assume they will do as much as they can to upset the apple cart that way. You know, And you know, a lot of ammunition are, in our country is imported, and right now we have a shortage on ammunition to start with. And the Democrats sort of know that if you don't have bullets, the guns don't seem to work. Uh, so I'm a little worried about that. I'm also worried about the Biden administration using federal agencies like the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms to redefine various things in regulations uh, that, that hurt gun owners a whole lot. And likewise, you know, you know, hunting lands for you know for hunters. Uh, we've got the Environmental Protection Agency. We've got OSHA. There's a lot of agencies they can do and come down and and, and put on restrictions on all kinds of you know guns and gun owners. Uh, so I'm, I'm concerned in a lot of those areas as well. And of course, Biden himself, at a minimum, wants to put a $200 tax on every, you know, so-called uh, assault rifle and, and magazine that holds over 10 rounds, you know. And so, just if, as a gun owner out there, you know, add up the, those guns you've got and magazines you've got times 200 and see how much money it's going to cost you. Uh, so there's lots of things that that, that he's looking to do, and I, I'm very concerned. It's not going to be an easy year for gun owners, no matter what. I suspect you're right. Uh, and we have got to be engaged. We've got to be involved. We've got to work together uh, as well uh, in pushing back against all of these attacks that we know are coming. Um, and getting back to the uh, to the import export issue for a second, you know, Biden had talked about as a candidate uh, banning the the importation of so-called assault weapons. But but you brought up ammunition, which I think is critically important because not only do we have, you know, finished ammunition coming into this country uh, to be sold, but we also have a lot of ammunition components that are imported into this country. And then the, the actual ammunition is manufactured here. Is that also an area where Biden could, uh, could, could attack our ability to defend ourselves? Could he try to ban the importation of, of lead, for example, uh, to be used in ammunition or other components that manufacturers need to be able to make these bullets? Most definitely. We have these kinds of situations happening now with the United Nations pushing to ban lead for bullets. We have the situation with the European Union pushing to ban lead for bullets. Uh, and so Biden would just fall, fall in with the internationalists, so to speak, and, and, and basically claim he's just doing the same thing they are. Yeah, gun owners, we have a lot of threats coming out of this administration, and uh, it's not going to be easy. 
Absolutely. But we are in the fight together. And uh, again, I, I hope that gun owners are able to present a united front. If folks want to get involved with the Second Amendment Foundation, uh, website is saf.org, the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. Full disclosure, I'm a, a member of the board there, ccrkba.org. And uh, Alan Gottlieb, founder and executive vice president of the Second Amendment Foundation. Thank you as always, sir, for joining us here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Now, I appreciate Alan joining us on the program. We'll keep you updated on all of the cases we talked about, as well as the uh, other threats that uh, Gottlieb spoke about. I mean, I'm I'm getting chills just thinking about the uh, ammunition situation uh, as already as bad as it is uh, getting exponentially worse if Joe Biden were to decide that, uh, you know, what well, we're going to just uh, block the importation of these materials used to make ammunition or at least, you know, make it more expensive, maybe raise the tariffs. Uh, I mean, this is again, there's all kinds of damage that can be done uh, with a Biden administration, even if we do have a Congress that is uh, broadly deadlocked. And as Alan said, uh, you know, there are going to be those opportunities for uh, anti-gun activists to try to have their way on, you know, must-pass pieces of legislation, budget authorizations, uh, defense acts, and things of that matter. So gun owners, again, we have to stay engaged. We have to stay involved. We have to be, present a united front uh, here over the next four years. Uh, with the focus, again, on keeping our right to keep and bear arms, not just intact, but making it stronger and more secure. And hopefully the courts are going to play a role in that over the next couple of years. Now, before we get to our uh, armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report, I want to give you an update on the story we first wrote about at Barry Arms yesterday. It's a story that I think we're going to be covering for quite some time here. It's the death of Casey Goodson Jr. in Columbus, Ohio, last Friday. Goodson, 23 years old, a concealed carry holder, he was on his way home from a dentist appointment. He'd apparently stopped off at a Subway restaurant to pick up a sandwich. He was uh, headed back home to his grandmother's house where he lived along with several other family members. And in the neighborhood, there was a task force made up of U.S. Marshals, uh, Franklin County Sheriff's deputies, City of Columbus Police Department officers. And one of these deputies said that as Goodson was driving by, he waved a gun out the window of his car at the officer's. So this deputy then pursued Goodson briefly before briefly uh, before Goodson turned into his uh, the driveway of his grandmother's home. The deputy says that Goodson got out of the car, gun in hand, refused to drop the uh, weapon when ordered to. And that's when the deputy opened fire. Goodson's family disputes that. They say that Casey Goodson had his Subway sandwich bag in one hand, had the keys to his home in another was trying to let himself in the door of his grandmother's house when he was shot three times in the back by a sheriff's deputy. We don't have an autopsy yet, so we don't know um, if the family is correct about uh, Goodson being shot in the back as opposed to facing the officer. We don't have any body camera footage because the Franklin County Sheriff's Office does not equip their deputies with body cameras. Apparently, the sheriff has said that the uh, county commissioners had planned on purchasing these items in 2021. So there were no body cameras on. And now the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation has said that it is not going to accept responsibility for investigating this case because the uh, Columbus Police Department and the Franklin County Sheriff's Office waited three days after this shooting in order to make the request. So the crime scene, you can't go back and reconstruct the crime scene. Witnesses have already been interviewed. Canvassing's already been done. 
In other words, it's a little late for the BCI to be asked to step in and conduct this investigation when the Columbus Police Department had already started that process. Um, I got to tell you, you know, I, I don't know what happened here. And I'm not taking sides because I don't have enough evidence. None of us do. But I'm disturbed by the fact that the Columbus Police Department did not immediately ask BCI for an investigation, given the circumstances surrounding this case. Casey Goodson was not the subject of a warrant. He was not suspected of a crime. He wasn't who police were looking for. Is it possible that this 23-year-old concealed carry holder, as he's driving by these cops, decided, yeah, you know what, I'm going to pull out my gun and wave it at him? Sure, I, I suppose it's possible. Does it seem likely? I mean, not based on what Casey's family is saying. Here's somebody who was a legal gun owner. He was licensed to carry a firearm. He was on his way home from the dentist. He had a Subway sandwich in his hand. Doesn't really sound like somebody who's interested in confronting police. Not to mention the fact that, you know, after the deputy started uh, following him, uh, Casey Goodson pulled into the driveway of his grandma's home. It's not like he took off, you know, and, and wouldn't stop for police. There are enough questions raised about and, and enough differences, clear, stark differences between the family's account and the deputy's account that um, further investigation is most definitely warranted. And I don't know what's going to happen here because BCI really should have been that third party to investigate. But now they can't. There's no body camera footage that would uh, show us what actually happened. And I'm... Um, I'm very concerned that we're not going to ever really know uh, the full circumstances surrounding the death of Casey Goodson Jr., who is not a hardened criminal, who is a law-abiding gun owner, who's accused by a deputy of waving a gun. But even then, I, I, you know, the circumstances just, there's something about this that have my uh, spidey senses tingling here. And I wish I could say, look, here's the smoking, no pun intended, here's the smoking gun evidence that the uh, cop is lying, or here's the smoking gun evidence that the family was wrong about what their uh, son did. I don't have that. None of us have that information. But but there is something about this case that is just ringing some alarm bells for me. So we're going to continue covering the uh, the death of Casey Goodson Jr. in Columbus, Ohio, uh, and uh, hopefully be able to provide you some uh, new details if those details emerge. Now let's get to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We will start there with a case out of Virginia, a uh, previously convicted felon sentenced to 18 months behind bars after being caught in possession of a firearm. He was discovered in illegal possession of that firearm, by the way, when he appeared in a YouTube video. Yeah, about four months after he went on probation holding a stolen nine millimeter. Yeah. Um, the uh, incident involving this 23 uh, year old again stems out of a case out of Virginia uh, where the uh, a suspect convicted of two counts of robbery uh, served some period of time behind bars in Virginia. He would have had to serve, I believe as 90% of a sentence before he would have been eligible for early release, but I'm not sure the, the reports are unclear as to uh, what that actual sentence was. But then four months after he was released from prison, while he was on 10 years of supervised probation, that's when he allegedly 
picked up the gun in a music video that appeared on YouTube that uh, law enforcement became aware of. U.S. attorneys actually prosecuted this case. And uh, this uh, suspect really lucky that he did not get the full five years behind bars that he was eligible for, 18 months behind bars, as a uh, felon in possession of a firearm. Hopefully he will learn his lesson when he gets back out. We'll see anything like this again. Uh, now, our armed citizen story from the Chicagoland area, where an employee of a uh, convenience store who was held at gunpoint during an armed robbery attempt in Round Lake Beach shot two suspects before they fled the scene in a vehicle. This happened uh, Monday evening around 1045. Uh, again, the uh, store employee held at gunpoint by a man and a woman who came in, demanded money. But the employee was able to get a hold of his gun, fired several shots, striking both suspects. They then took off running, got back in their car, drove away. Police found the vehicle a short time later, found the suspects there, bloodied up as well. They were both taken to a local hospital. They're going to be uh, taken to the jail once they are released. The uh, store employee not facing any charges because they were acting in self-defense. And finally today, our good deed of the day from North Reading, Massachusetts, where an off-duty police officer who was on his way home ended up stopping when he saw flames and smoke from a uh, home right there on the uh, on, on the drive back to his own place. Uh, he ended up getting out of his car, kicked in the front door of the single family home after uh, nobody came to the door when he started knocking. He was able to rescue uh, two individuals who were able to get out through the front door. There was a third person inside. Officer had trouble locating that third individual, finally found him in the back of the house, had to break a rear window. And then the officer and that uh, third occupant got out of the home safely, thankfully. Fire crews arrived a short time later. They were able to extinguish the blaze. I don't think the home is a total loss, but there was serious damage. Uh, North Reading Fire Chief Donald Stats said the officer so far has not been identified. Uh, quote, truly did a great job and saved some lives. So in the right place, at the right time, willing able to do the right thing. Wish I had a name. Hopefully we'll learn more about this uh, off-duty officer who was willing to put his own life on the line for strangers, but we thank you very much for your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. Now, listen, I'm going to be off tomorrow from the show. We're going to have plenty of stuff updating for you on the website, but just due to a scheduling conflict, I'm not going to be able to uh, do a show tomorrow. I'll be back Thursday. I'll be back Friday. I promise you we've got more uh, latest Second Amendment news and information headed your way. But I do want to let you know as well, in addition to subscribing to Town Hall Media on YouTube, if you'd like to get the show that way, we are now available on Rumble as well. Yes, you can get ready to rumble with Barry and Arms Cam and Company. And if you like the podcast version, you know, I tell you every day, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. You can find us on Amazon as well now. So another opportunity for you to access Barry and Arms Cam and Company. However you find us, we're glad that you're here. Hopefully you'll uh, spread the word as well. Let uh, all of these Second Amendment supporters in your life know that we are out here and uh, covering the latest Second Amendment news and information. We'll be back again on Thursday of this week. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.